Take your Bibles and turn to Romans, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, and I'm going to read a few verses before we get there, um, but yeah, Romans chapter 4, if you want to get, get a head start on me. Uh, this is going to be a, like I said, a, a topical message this morning. I'm enjoying, uh, you know, until I get peace about where I'm headed next um, in the text and what book we're going to open up and study, uh, I'm enjoying these topical studies. So if you have a topic that you would like to hear a message on specifically, uh, hit me up. I put it in the Facebook group, uh, and I've had a few that have taken me up on it, but if you have something specific uh, a topic that you have been wondering about. I'm not saying I will uh, 100%, uh, but I'll definitely consider it. And um, so just put it on a piece of paper or shoot me a text or however you want to do it. And uh, we'll, we'll have a few weeks here uh, of some topical studies before we jump into, honestly, I'm just waiting on the Lord to give me clarity. This week, I felt like he gave me a nudge, a certain direction. Um, are you guys dismissing or no? Okay. Uh, he gave me a nudge a certain direction, and, and we'll see if, if that uh, pans out to be the direction he wants me to go this week. Um, but until then, we, we have a few weeks planned out, and this week is on grace. So the, uh, I guess the, what we would call it is, is a reminder, a reminder of grace, and a reminder of what that word means. And how, how many, when I say grace, there's a lot of meaning behind that word? Some of you, it's your name, <laughs> but there's, there's meaning there. Um, there. I think it's such a rich, I, I think we get in this mode where we throw words around. Uh, I think it's a, maybe a little bit hot in my monitors or something, uh, and I'm getting some bleed over that's bugging me, um, so maybe just cut, it, cut these back a little bit, and whatever you do out there is up to you. Um, but um, anyway, I think that we define, sometimes redefine words that don't need redefining. And I think other times we don't put enough thought and studying into everyday words that we just throw around. Man, I pray for grace. Uh, you know, I pray God will strengthen your faith. But what does that mean? And, and is it something that's personal and close to your heart uh, as the Lord works? So I think that as I define this word in, in scripture this morning, uh, I pray that it will carry more weight that it will be more encouraging to you, uh, and that it will be something that you can lean into as we do life together as a church and as we move forward. God is doing some special things in our church. He is uh, moving in an incredible way. Uh, I don't think we can see it all right now. I don't think it's all necessarily visible, but I think God is moving uh, in, in a way that I think in a year or two we'll all be like, yep, yeah, he, he was definitely moving uh, and not just to the virus and for or because of, um, but God's going to use it just like he does with every other trial, every other major thing uh, that he has in history. God's going to use this. And we're going to come out of this season, I believe, stronger and with renewed vision. So I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to jump into this topic of grace. Father, I pray that you would help me to say the things that you would have me to say. Help me to not say the things that you don't want me to say. Your words, Father, that's what we need this morning. And from your word as I preach, Father, I pray that you would give clarity and thought and that it would find its way into the listener's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace, the reminder of grace this morning. I loved this, uh, this artwork, this graphic that I found, but it's plus nothing. That's what grace is. It is plus nothing. 
and we'll see that become clearer. The Greek word defined as we see uh, in the New Testament scriptures that we're going to read a lot, a lot from this morning uh, is uh, the, the Greek word charis. Grace comes from that Greek word charis, which means thankfulness. Uh, thankfulness, and I think you'll see some overlapping of definitions as it pertains to salvation in that context, how we define grace. Um, but just specifically doing the word study and the definitions that come along with, I like this. It says, "Divine influence, divine, not divine, divine influence upon the heart." I like this here, and its reflection in life. Divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life. So if we were to be a mirror, if you will, what we were reflecting, God's divine influence on our life, and, and then as that plays out, that is grace. Grace is what is showing itself, what is revealing itself in your life. So not just thankfulness, not just a spirit of gratitude, but we're going to see that often through this definition and how it plays out in scripture, but it is divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life. And theologically, that makes sense. The way that grace operates and in the construct that scripture presents it in, it's necessary that it is flowing from a heart that is influenced divinely. That which affords, I like this definition, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, or loveliness. Uh, how many wives think their husbands need a little bit more grace? Anybody? <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, uh, let's park there, Pastor. Uh, is, that, is that shown, is that exhibited in your life? Loveliness. I, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you right now, I'm just, I'm the loveliest person ever. She'll tell you, go ahead, go ask her. Yeah, right. Uh, but joy and pleasure and delight, if, if this is what grace affords, that is the Div divine reflection. It is we have been given something that is playing out in our life. And as that definition takes shape, what is playing out is what that divine influence has afforded us. Those are terms that we, we know uh, and we'll get into a little bit more. But what it, what it is allowing or affording is joy, is pleasure. So this idea of grace, this concept, this definition that scripture is painting for us, beneath the surface is something that is afforded to us, allowing us to live in, uh, and things come from it that are beautiful. So said of Jesus, and we're getting to Romans, I promise, I'm just taking the long way. Uh, said of Jesus' person, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So said of Jesus, the grace of God was upon him. Said of Jesus' words, Luke chapter 4, verse 22, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, it is not, is not this Joseph's son. So uh, Jesus' disposition, the grace of God was upon him. Jesus' words, the grace of God was working in his words. And then said of Titus's acts of ministry in 2 Corinthians 8, 6, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, 
so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So not only was it something that was on Jesus, in Jesus, this is a term divinely inspired working in the life and in the ministry of one of the apostles. So we find this element of grace, what this is, is something that is used to work, to begin a work, to influence, to affect, and perpetuate these things of joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. Could it be we as Christians never get to that place of joy, never get to that place of hope, never get to that place of delight, because we don't know the direction. We don't know the path. We don't know uh, by what means to get there. And so hopefully after today, you'll know uh, how to get there and how to approach it. Uh, but many, I feel like, they come to church, they define their, their happiness by the works that they do, uh, and then they define themselves, and we do this in life in general, we define our worth by the amount of money we make. You ever see that happen? All the time, right? So this is something that plays out in Christian living, how uh, the path to what they're looking for is not the path that is taken, and in all actuality, the path that is taken is the exact opposite of the one that we should be taking. So this word grace is the path. As we define it, as we understand it, as we uh, ask God this morning to illuminate our thoughts and our minds and our hearts, with this word of grace, it is the path that should be taken. Grace is the, uh, the road that we need to travel this morning. Romans chapter 4, verse number 2. Romans chapter 4, verse number 2. We'll see here what grace is not. Romans chapter 4, verse number 2, and I read, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for what? Righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of what? Grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I think for me, when I approach the scripture and I approach a study, it's easier for me to, to determine what it's not saying sometimes than what it is saying. It's easy to eliminate those things because of the text and because of what's around it and what it's saying, the context. To say this is the message of, of Christ and I'm trying to parse that out and these are the things that it is not saying. Many are uh, trying to define scripture by what they think it means or what they want it to mean, right? <laughs> and often those definitions that get displayed and this, you know, it's typically in an infograph or a social media post and I look at that verse and I'm like, yeah, that's not what that verse is saying. <laughs> this is great. Look at the message of my life. And I'm like, oh my Lord, uh, that's trash. <laughs> that's twisting that message. But often what we need to do is define uh, what it's not saying. There are many things that it's not saying. And really that's what's happening here with what Paul is doing in this text. He's saying what grace isn't. Can anyone see what it, what it isn't in that text that we just read? What's it say? Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned by grace, but of debt. So here's the first thing. I see that grace, as we define this word, grace is contrasted 
with debt. So if we were to say, okay, if grace is over here, and that's what we're trying to do this morning, we're trying to understand, we're trying to put ourselves in this place in the text, this cherish, this grace, what it is, so that we can uh, fully put it into our spirit and live from that place of grace. And as we're defining it, what we're seeing is that it's not debt. It's not. It's actually contrasted with debt. If debt is over here, what's way over here? Grace. Here's grace, then on the other side, the opposite, the antonym is, is debt. So as we understand this and as we approach this, we we find that debt here, by definition, is a liability or obligation to pay or render something. I was looking, uh, we were talking Wednesday night, and do you know this? This is a fun fact. The average credit card debt of, you know, the average American, we were talking about this Wednesday night. Who's got a guess? The average, the average American, Joe Schmo, per household, how much credit card debt do you think they have? Can I get a five? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you said 15, didn't you? 16, 16 and some change. So you're close. $16,000 in credit card debt. So if there's anything we understand by way of average is that the American way, we understand debt, right? And we get ourselves into it quickly uh, and right off the get. So how many, let's see, let's have a contest. Who's got the most credit card debt? Let's start with it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Y'all were like, scared. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But honestly, so, so we understand the concept of debt. We live, and I think ultimately, we, this is like a totally different conversation, right? But really, it's this idea of we want it now. Right? I think you can directly link the idea that Instant gratification leads to credit card debt. Delayed gratification leads to wealth, right? They're they're opposites. They're opposing units. So when we understand that instant gratification has got us into this pickle and that the average person does it to the tune of 16K per household, we got a problem, right? And so that makes its way also, in my experience, into our theology, our instant gratification. Our, our need to have an instant understanding, our need to, to conform this text to our lifestyle so that we can fully understand or so that we can pillow our head at night and be comfortable with who we are in Jesus. A minimum payment, if you will. I can handle the min- what'd you do? Spill your coffee? Come on, man. Uh, the, the minimum payment, if you will, if we can make that minimum payment, we'll go. I think we can stretch it maybe another hundred dollars a month. Another couple thousand dollars worth of. How about more how about new furniture? How about how about how about right? As long as we can handle that minimum payment, well, we, we treat our theology the same way. Instead of defining it for what it is, instant gratification. And making the conscious decision, I'm speaking financially, to avoid that rabbit hole and actually live a a disciplined life, we do the same thing spiritually. Instead of living by God's grace as he defines it, we redefine it for our own pleasure. 
We redefine it, and we know that grace, by definition, is the means by which we afford the things that God has given us. The means. Grace is the means. And we'll see the vehicle that helps us travel that here in a minute. But we have to be careful that we're not redefining something that's clearly defined in Scripture. And what Paul is saying is, by way of definition, by way of you understanding grace, you have to understand that it's contrasted by debt. It is not debt. Now, that, that can be a slippery slope. And Paul is going to address... Uh, Paul's going to address the slippery slope that it leads to because in our culture and what we've already talked about, we abuse grace. We treat it like debt. We treat it in a manner that makes us feel better at night, but it's not scriptural. So these words that I penned this week of what it is not will open the door, and I think you'll see, for some to think that they can abuse that grace, but not at all. And that's not the message that Paul is sending. So if debt is a liability or an obligation to pay or render something, debt is the contrast to grace. Our grace is not a liability. It is not something we carry to offset or mitigate for something else. If it's not a debt, it is not something that we carry in order, stay with me, to offset for something else. Okay? Uh, but something that therein complements. The grace of God, the grace that God gives us, complements the cross of Christ. It shows our dedication to the gospel. If we were able to do something to create a reparation for our wrongdoings, then we would have a system that would require endless accountability with very elaborate spreadsheets. Can you imagine can you imagine what church would look like, what living as a Christian would look like if we were able to create reparations for our wrongdoings? Think of the spreadsheets. Think of the computers that it would take to calculate all that we are doing so that we can maintain this balance, right? Think about what it is for money. Accounting and QuickBooks and reconciling, making those things match. Well, imagine if that's how our Christian life looked. Imagine if we were able to generate some sort of behavior that could compensate for the bad and that this good and bad system is something that we could track. Boy, that would be crazy. The spreadsheets, the programs, can you imagine? But you know what? There are whole religious systems that are like that. There are whole entire religious systems that are set up to weigh the balance, to understand that your good deeds outweigh the bad and you have to track and make sure and maintain. But the Bible says that it is not debt. It is not something, your lifestyle, that causes a deficit, that needs to be counteracted, that needs to be balanced. That is not what grace is. It's not. Therefore, there is no accounting. There is no measures that we need to do to level the playing field or keep things straight, if you will. We have a God that put an end to the counting. Yes. He freely gives to us, watch this, of his abundance. 
He freely, I'm going to say it again, gives to us of his abundance, requiring nothing from us. His ask is that we merely live in what that affords. And that, my brothers and sisters, is joy, pleasure, delight, and loving kindness. You see, when we define what grace is, we understand that it's not debt. It's not something that has a deficit that when we do good, we'll balance the scales, we'll bring our account to a zeroed out level and maybe we can add a little bit to it. It has nothing to do with our goodness adding to anything. It has to do with our God having more than enough, with our God having something that is of an abundance, something that is we we cannot ever outdo we cannot uh, balance any scale the only thing we can do is live in it that's what grace is grace is the path that has been afforded the path that has been paid for for you to live in thank the Lord Mm. but to think that it affords you these things simultaneously with the things of this world, would be a mistake. To think that grace affords you these things, joy, loving kindness, think about the definition of it, this thing of thankfulness and gratitude that we have for it, to think that grace allows that and the things of this world is a huge mistake and it's a misunderstanding. You say, explain it to me, I'd love to. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to this. If you don't, it's on the screen. This may be the clearest, I hope it's clear to you, most in-depth time that you've ever spent uh, on this topic of grace. But I think Paul is super clear in in the next passage of Scripture that we're going to read. So what we understand is that grace is not what? It's not debt. Grace is contrasted by debt. That's that's on the opposite end of the spectrum. It is not debt. It is something that God has in abundance that we live in. Okay? Now, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, we're going to read. This is coming out of the same context. Remember, we read Romans 4. And and really, verse 12 in chapter 5 talks about the abundant grace of Christ. So coming from that concept, the abundant grace of Christ, look at this, Romans 6.1. What, what shall we say then? Oh, we're doing good. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the next two words? God forbid. So there's an understanding that the Apostle Paul has here that is like, no, 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 no. The idea is not because you're, think about this. This is where we go, and especially in our culture. As soon as we're off the hook, we are literally off the hook. You know what I'm saying? You mean I ain't got to do nothing to earn heaven? Woo! Then let's go party. I can do whatever I want, and he's going to give me heaven? No. (laughs) Yeah, but no. No. You're misrepresenting. You mean he gave me the abundance, and and I said this this morning, what, what story in the Bible comes to mind when we talk about God's abundance and God's grace? Does anybody? Huh? The prodigal son. That's cheating, Miss Cindy. You were here in the early service. 
<laughs> she was an eager beaver with that one. The prodigal son. Now, now, we have to consider that the prodigal son was living in his father's what? Abundance. And what happened? He went out and wrecked himself. Have we as Christians ever seen this? A Christian that does not define the grace of God correctly, sees the abundant life that God has and chooses to simultaneously wreck their life and try to live in God's grace? Have we, have we seen that? I have. All the time. People excusing their sin. Well, you know, I ask for forgiveness. It's like, what? No, you did. Okay, you may have, but you're running right back to it. We, listen, we gotta be real. We have to be straight. You need somebody to look at you in the face and tell you what grace is and what it isn't. Grace is not something that is an abundant life for you to simultaneously live in your sin. Watch the way Paul defines this. Are you ready? I don't think you're ready for it, but I'm gonna go into it anyway. What shall we say? Should we continue in sin? Verse one, verse number two, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, I love this, this analogy is about to get real, I'm telling you. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? Death. Death? Hmm. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into what? Death. Death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his what? Resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be what? Destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For if he that is dead is freed, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So this is a powerful analogy. We're going to go back to the scripture and we'll finish it here in a minute. But I want to stop right here and, and bring some weight to something that we, I believe, take for granted in the church. This idea of baptism. When I baptize a new convert, I say buried in the likeness of his what? Death. Raised to walk in newness of life. There's a symbolic picture that your old man is buried with Christ and that they that be in Christ are new creations. When you come up out of the water, you are declaring to the unseen realm, you are declaring to the devil that you were twofold a child of wrath. And that child that was owned by Satan, that was owned by sin, that was marked by your sinful behavior is now dead and you are now alive in Christ. That's what baptism means. That's the picture. That's the declaration. Do I really have to get baptized? Yeah. Is it necessary for salvation? No, but it's showing what has happened. It's not the water. It's the symbolism. It's the declaration. It's the understanding that my old man is dead and my new spirit is alive in Christ. Paul, fellowship with his suffering, power in his resurrection. So, so this is, here's where, ah, clarity Here's where grace becomes clear. 
The idea of a Christian that says, I can live in my sin and live in God's grace doesn't understand why he got in the baptism waters. Here's what that's like. That's like saying, I buried a friend of mine over here in the graveyard. And we used to have so much fun together. But he's dead and we put him in the ground and he's there and we all were there. We all saw it. He, he died. He was buried. But I just want to go out on Friday night again and have fun with him one more time. So it's like you going to the graveyard, taking a shovel and digging up the guy who you buried who was your old buddy, your old friend, because you know you had the best times with this fella. He's amazing. Boy, wait till we get to the bar with this guy. He's the life of the party. Life of the party? He's dead. Oh, yeah, but it's going to be a good one. <laughs> and then you, like, go and have one of those. This would be weird. You go and have one of those like baby carriers made that's like adult size, and you're like, put that, put that guy on me. Check this thing out. Strap him in. He's the life of the party. This is incredible. Wait till we get there. And you like strap his skeleton in, and you're like, all right, let's go have fun, buddy. Good, good. Oh, <laughs> let's pick that up. Glue. Can you glue that on for me? This is a very morbid illustration, is it not? <laughs> We're renting backhoes at our church. Let's go dig up dead bodies. Here we go. You need your body for a good time. It's extremely morbid. It makes absolutely no sense. And when you walk in the bar, they're probably going to call the cops on you, and you're going to get locked up. Why? Because it makes absolutely no sense to bring a dead man to be the life of the party. And every Christian that buried their sinful person in a dead place where your sins lead to, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gifts that God gives are eternal life. It's abundance. Every time you decide to live in your sin, every time you decide to walk out on God's grace, what you're doing is you're walking to the graveyard, you're digging up an old man, and you're bringing a dead skeleton to a party that he has no business being at. How much sense does that make? Well, it, it literally makes no sense for me to go get my dead guy. And <laughs> that's, what, that's a Christian saying, well, God's grace is sufficient. I can go sin and still love the Lord. That is the exact same illustration. Exact same. Just as we would all commit you to a straitjacket for the rest of your life if you did that, spiritually speaking, Christians do it every day. Because they make the choice to go to the graveyard instead of living in God's abundance. I don't know of a more vivid illustration. Why? That's the one Paul uses. If you were buried in baptism, why are, why are you going back to the graveyard and getting your old self and bringing him to the discussion? They that be in Christ are new creations. It makes no sense for Christians to be leveraging God's grace for your sinful behavior. They do not add up. As your pastor, I will never condone. You can come talk to me all you want. I'll pray with you, and you know that. I'll love you through a hard time. I'll love you through your temptations, through your challenges. We are called to confess to each other. We are called to do life together. But in no way, shape, or form are we called to condone and allow and, and make light of 
carrying a dead carcass around. We should never glory in our deadful past. Never. What should we glory in? Thank you for asking. We're getting there. Okay, let's keep reading this text here. Verse 7, chapter 6, For if he that is dead is freed from sin, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Christ, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Leave what's in the graveyard in the graveyard. But alive unto God through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto who? God. As those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. How many times have we heard that twisted? I'm under grace. Let's go party. <laughs> Let's cheat on my wife. Let's go get drunk. I'm under grace. Do you think that's elevating that verse out of context? Tragically, tragically out of context. You, you got to read the whole chapter, and the whole chapter says you're a knucklehead if you go back to your dead life. <laughs> okay, verse 15, sorry. What then? <laughs> I love this. Listen to the way Paul just kind of like, Woo what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. And you have to think about these folks that have been living under the law for millennia, right? The Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, and then the other 600 of them. You tell the people that were under 600 commandments of what they have to do that, okay, no more rules, just do it because you want to do it. They'd be like, woo, freedom. Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, the right kind of freedom. The freedom that means that you don't have to chase your lust. You can have delivery from that lust. That's freedom. Somebody's car alarm is going off. God bless. <laughs> Buried in baptism, death has taken place to our sins. Death has removed us from the equation. Grace is the afforded new creation life. Don't, leave, don't check out yet. There's some good scriptures that await. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we alluded to it. Therefore, therefore, this is where you, you, you bring some weight to this, to your life. You buried your old person. You're now a new creation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Galatians 6, 14 through 18. And once again, I'm, I'm giving all of these scriptures because I need to for this message. No, go back and listen to this. Go write these scriptures down. Go study them. Mark them in your Bible. This is a struggle for all of us, yes? The old man, the old ways, this is a struggle. We need the words of life to communicate to us how to live. Galatians 6, 14 through 18, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ, I love this, neither circumcision 
availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. In other words, in this topic is also reconciliation. It doesn't matter who you are. Think about this. Grace is affording you a new abundant life no matter what you were like in your old state. The inmate on death row, the worst of the worst, can be the best of the best. Why? So that they can glory in themselves? No, because we're glorying in the cross of Christ. There is not one sinner, not one sinner would he not save. Think about the song that we sang, the hymn that we sang. The dying thief. Rejoice to see that fountain. You're never too far. But for us to glory in our sin, and this works in the reverse, for us to glory in our goodness, is, is the same principle. It's wrong. This isn't an issue of debt. It's not. This is an issue of it complementing what the cross has done. That's where we're going to place our glory. That's where we're going to place our emphasis. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Let's continue here. Galatians 6. And as many walk according to this rule, peace be on them, mercy and upon Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I am perplexed by the notion that we are able to be joyful, pleased, delightful, and have loving kindness for our neighbors while living in sin. Can you see that clearly now? Can you see clearly of what grace is? That there is no simultaneous living in sin and being in God's grace. Can we see that? If you can't, uh, just hit pause on this and listen to the sermon again when it comes out and pray that the Lord shows it to you. Go back and read these texts again. You cannot have this joyful, incredible, abundant life that God gives and be living in a sinful life simultaneously. They don't work. There should be major conviction or there's something that's revealing that the two cannot walk together because they do not agree. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. We don't, I don't want this cheap grace at Bethlehem. I don't want this idea that we can do whatever we want and God says it's okay. That's not in, that's not in Scripture. We're not carrying our dead carcasses around. We're going to bury them in baptism where they belong, and we're going to be raised to walk in newness of life. And if, listen to me, if you are carrying a dead carcass or someone else's dead carcass around, you need to go put it back in the graveyard where it belongs. And let the grace of God work in your heart and work in your life. Because let me, let me help you with something. And this is coming in the, in the rest of the message. But there's some good stuff that we need to be doing as Christians. There's a work that we need to accomplish. And I submit to you that we can only accomplish by his grace. Okay? So we leave our sinful old man buried. Ephesians 2 8 through 10 says, For by grace are ye saved. This is a famous passage, but now consider it in the light of what we've already studied on grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Okay, so this idea of faith is introduced. 
and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of what? Works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein. So grace is contrasted by what? Debt. <laughs> grace is contrasted by what? Great job. Man, you guys are on it. All right, do we need to take a coffee break? So you guys go get some coffee and get energized up again. Stay with me. This is the good part. Man, you guys survived the whole sin, debt aspect of the message. This is the good news here. Uh, the second half of the gospel. Are you ready? Grace is contrasted by debt. Grace is conformed to faith. So in this illustration, as we're getting this worldview of what grace is and how the Bible describes it, it's like this. It's like God gives us this life that has been afforded to us, and that's grace. But the vehicle that we reach that destination in is faith. Isn't that interesting? It's like the, the father says, here's this incredible house, and here's the keys to the Ferrari to get you there. The keys to the Ferrari and getting in is faith. So, so many Christians, that, they, they trust Jesus Christ for, for all that, that he has, his eternal riches and glory, this incredible inheritance. But they lack the faith to live the life of grace. Does that make sense? I want to challenge you today that as we see grace in view, as we see what the goodness of God, the grace of God is, Paul brings it home with this idea of how we should live in that grace, and that is faith. So faith is conformed with grace here in the text. For by grace are you saved through faith. Look at this. Romans 5, or, or I think it's Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. There's a whole chapter devoted to it in Hebrews. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, this vehicle by which we are conformed to the grace of God. Listen to this text, Romans 5, 2 through 5. By whom also we have access by faith, what's it say, into this grace. Do you see the, the analogy that I'm kind of putting forth in front of you? By whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. What I'm explaining to you is the key to being happy in turbulent times. How many folks have we seen enter into a season of tribulation and they get bitter at God? How many folks have we seen? Why? Because they probably didn't define grace from the beginning. But in our church, I just, I just want to set the playing field that grace is the life that God has afforded you. He has given it to you. He wants you to live in it. And he's going he's gonna to allow you through faith. 
life to enter into that life. And if you get in the car, if you grow your faith, you will be able to endure tribulations. You'll be able to endure hardship. You'll be able to endure what the gospel calls you to endure as in glorying in the cross of Christ like Paul did. Because you understand by means of the faith that God has given you to travel on this journey of grace in the abundant life. You see, we have people that are defining an abundant life as a materialistic life. And that gospel is killing America. God's so good. What's that mean? Well, you know, i got to raise. I get it. I get it. And I'm not saying that's a bad... Listen, we have to have money, and we have to appropriate, and we have to live generously. And by national average, we know why people can't be generous, because they're on lockdown to credit card debt. Uh, so the, but the point is, is that's not the point. The point is, is you should not equate God's goodness in your life automatically with how much money you have in your bank account. What if God wants you to go through a season of famine? What if God wants you to go through a season of scarcity? Just, just to see how your relationship grows through that time. Not even because it's good or bad. Because he wants to love you through that season. But we are so married to us because we're Americans. We're, we're only married to wealth. We're only married to good times. And if God calls me to anything else other than that, it must be wrong. That's not true. Faith will allow you to walk through a season of tribulation. And it will grow your patience. And it will grow your hope. It will grow in anticipation for the Lord bringing his kingdom to earth. Do you understand where at some point we get sideways on this thing? Because we don't understand and define grace the way we should. Define grace the way you should. It's God's abundant life for you. It's, it's not requiring anything of you, so to speak. You're living in, you're in his world. You're a new creation in Christ. All together apart from your old person. These are big concepts, I understand that. And I'm biting off a lot for 45 minutes. But you, you can do it. I believe that the Spirit can work in you this morning. Our faith is our living in the afforded grace-bought lifestyle that being a disciple of Jesus gives me. I'm going to say that again for you. Listen, our faith is our living in the afforded grace-bought lifestyle that being a disciple of Jesus gives me. Sin will keep you in a holding pattern, rendering you useless for the sake of what grace has afforded you. So... Understand this, this is a simple, uh, maybe a, a deep concept, but simple application. Faith is our living, the just shall live by faith, scripture says. Faith is our living in what grace has afforded us. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I live by faith. That means I'm journeying through this land that grace has afforded me. I'm experiencing joy. I'm experiencing peace through tribulation. That is what my faith... I'm literally driving through a terrain wreck. What is going on in our nation? What's going on in my family? What's going on in the church? We can be confident. We can have peace in these turbulent times. Why? Because we're living by faith. The, the kingdom's coming. I'm not living for this moment. I'm living for that one. Here we go. You're driving through the land of his grace. By faith. <laughs> now sin, sin will keep you in a holding pattern. 
sin will get you in a roundabout. Just driving in a circle. Driving in a circle. But look at what could be. Look at what my faith could bring me to do. I could live like generous and I could uh, travel and I could share my faith and I could have a good marriage and I could raise my kids not to be materialistic and I could. But you're in a roundabout. Sin will keep you in a holding pattern. If you are struggling this morning to live in grace, chances are, I'm just suggesting, you're in a holding pattern. You need to eliminate some things in your life. Let the, let the dead bury the dead. Go put it back in the graveyard. Sin will create a holding pattern. Your faith will create space in that land of grace. 2 Peter 3.18, as we read a few scriptures and shut her down and go to the house and have a dinner. All right, sounds good. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This is something that you're going to continue to drive in. Nobody's reached the destination yet, okay? You're, you're still, this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, what sweet hour of prayer. You still have a robe of flesh, as the song says. Until Jesus comes back, we're going to struggle with what I've talked about thus far. Until Jesus comes back, you're going to struggle with the urge to sin. You're going to struggle with it. Why? Because we're still humans. We don't have our glorified body yet that has not been infected by sin. So until then, grow in grace. Make sure that you are headed in the right direction and that you're not in a holding pattern. And, and take heed lest ye fall, right? Don't think that you've arrived when there is no destination yet. That's a problem. That's, that's a blind spot that will open you up. And, and we're going to see that as we tie this up here in, in the end. So grow in grace. This is a process. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You have everything you need in Jesus. Everything. There's no need on this path of grace that you're driving on through your faith there's no need to feel left, like you've been left out. If you feel like you lost your best friend on this road, you're in a holding pattern. You have all sufficiency in Jesus. Grow in grace. Find, find where the enemy is hurting you in this and live in God's abundant grace. You have everything you need in Jesus. Everything. So if you're missing something then you need to redefine what this is in your life. You need to eliminate the things that are keeping you from living in that and then live in it, grow in it. Ephesians 3, 7, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of God of, uh, given unto me, I'm sorry, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Romans 5, 15, but not as the offense, so also the free gift for though the offense of one, many be dead, Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. This is a free gift. It is not a debt. It is a life that he wants, that he has afforded you to live in and has equipped you to live in. Let me ask you this. What has God's grace afforded you? What has God's grace 
afforded you. I figured I'd help you, like, get you going down the right track. You, you know what I mean? I wanted to help you, like, give you a little jump start on your, on your motor. Uh, maybe it's not a Ferrari. Maybe your, your vehicle of faith is an old VW bug or something, and you need a little hot shot. Well, that's what this is this morning. This is a little hot shot for you. What has, what has God's grace afforded you? I want to help you with this. A lot of, I feel like a lot of Christians are living in condemnation. You're living under the devil's thumb. You're unhappy. You're not living an abundant life for one reason or another. And, and most of it is just the idea that we don't see what God has given us. We just don't see it. And unfortunately, all the people around us, maybe Christians that are watching you, that look at you and think that you do have it all, you know? Sometimes we need a reminder. Go to that verse in Philippians, that next one. Look at this first church. I think it's in there. Philippians. What's it say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What has your, listen, what has God's grace afforded for you? Number one, joy. There is no reason any of us should be unhappy. None. Like, God, God's grace affords us joy. And when I say happiness, I don't mean like your mood. I mean like we have a sense of weight in what we are going through in our life. If you are a child of God, he has declared you righteous. He has put you on a path that his grace has afforded you towards the kingdom of God. We're not in a rat race anymore. You don't have to be defined by your net worth. You don't have to be defined by your old life. That's dead and buried. You don't have to be beat up constantly by, by what the devil is telling you. You can have joy today because of the grace of God. When you, by faith, I could just have a Holy Ghost fit right now. And I may. When you realize that God loves you and that he found you and that he picked you up, you were buried and he left your sins there. He didn't, he didn't pick you up and create a religious system to say, well, let's, let's bring you along a little bit. No, don't do that. No, 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 don't do that. No, 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 don't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> let's go back over here. Didn't you get it? Didn't you understand? I want you to be better. I want you to get it more. No, let's do that. All right, let's try it again. No. It's not what he did. Salvation is something that he afforded you. He came to me when I could not go to where he was. What did he do? He said, let me, let me help you with something. I love you. I created you. Everything that you are in and of your sin, I'm going to separate you from that. I'll declare you righteous. I'll put my Holy Ghost on the inside. He will, destruct, he will instruct you. I'm losing my voice. He'll instruct you. He'll show you the way you need to walk, the work you must do. He'll love you through. He'll lead you in repentance. He'll lead you in confession. He'll keep you on the straight path. And if you'll just let him work in you, you'll do what you should be doing. If we understand that, what grace is affording us, we will be able to have joy. 
then we will be able to turn the keys over and glory in what he is doing in our life, and we won't feel the need to find worth in what we do. We can find worth in who we are in him. Joy. What has God's grace afforded you? It's afforded you joy. What has God's grace afforded you? Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I often liken this to two vehicles. Let's say on the beltway together. One is peace and one is understanding. One is peace and one is understanding and they're fighting. As we're on this path, as we're enjoying God's grace and we're living in it by faith, sometimes you think that you need to understand something and you want him to define it, but guess what? His peace is greater. His peace will pass the understanding on the highway and his grace has afforded you that. You know what he's afforded you is the ability to live in him be complete in him, and be okay with the peace that God gives you during times when you do not understand. Well, let's live in grace. That means I'm going to be able to, you know, decipher every little thing in life. No, that's not what it means. But he will give you peace, even when you don't understand. Those are just two incredible things that are gifts traveling in the land of abundance of God's grace. Romans 1, 16 through 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall what? Live by faith. Live in what God has afforded you now. The good news Jesus has redeemed us from the gods of this world, and his grace is the evidence of his spirit working in you. I leave you with this scripture. I think that I'm going to bring it home just practically. You ready for this? We've, we've talked a lot about a lot of big concepts with this idea of grace and how grace is interwoven, conformed to, to our faith, right? But I don't want you to get lost in the sauce today. I want you to pick up a spoon and taste this stuff. It's good. Some good spaghetti sauce right here. Can we have spaghetti for dinner? I just thought about that when I said sauce. Can you cook some spaghetti? What do you think? All right, good. I'm ready for some spaghetti. This is some good sauce right here. Let me help you taste it. You ready? James 4, 6 through 8. This is the boot that some of you need. This is the boot that I needed. But he giveth more what? How many of you want more? But it's an abundant life. There's plenty. Yeah, but it's scalable. It's scalable. You want more? You want more? You want more? Like training a dog. Come on. More, more, more. You want more? Ah. Okay, good. I'm glad you want more. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, this all makes so much sense. Why does it make sense that he gives more to the humble? Because those are the ones who are looking over at their grave who are saying, don't you put flowers on that nasty gravestone over there. That's a dead man. That's a sinful man over there that I buried at baptism. Don't you go back there. Don't you talk about my old man. You, you understand the analogy? Someone who is not proud of what they were but is humble about what God is doing in their life, God's going to give you more grace. He's going to open more doors through humility, not through pride. And which also couples with this idea that you can't work your way to get to heaven. It's not debt. This is not 
People that are, I'm going to pay my debt off. Absolutely, and you should. But salvation doesn't work that way. Why? Because then we would talk about it. We would boast about it. Grace living is directly tied to humility. People that are living in a holding pattern in their sin is directly tied, I submit to you, to pride. If you struggle with getting victory over your sin, let me explain something to you. It's probably because of your pride. More than likely. God gives more grace to the humble. Watch this. This is, this is it. This is what we got to do. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Here's the call to action. Repent and humble yourself. And that's what you have to do to live in his grace this morning. Very simple. The altar is open. The altar is open. I believe that we should be living in God's grace. Not living in the condemnation that comes from our sin. Not defining ourselves by what we think we can do. Watch this. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. My call to action today is this. Just humble yourself. Just say, God, I'm too big for my spiritual britches. I've been, I've been driving in this land of abundance, I thought, but literally I've just been showing people how good I am, and literally I'm in a holding pattern. I haven't had victory in your grace in a long time. Why? Because I'm not a humble person. Repent of it. That's the wonderful thing about this whole thing. He doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He knows who we are. That's why he put his spirit in us. Listen, draw nigh to God today and he'll draw nigh to you. Maybe you want to make this the front. Maybe it's been a little while since you got out of your seat. Make this an altar this morning. Make your seat an altar. Turn around and pray in your seat. What good is it to come through here and go through the motions? Here, here's what good is. You come here and you recalibrate. You do the work that you need to do in your heart and you say, I'm going to humble myself today, God. And then we're going to go live in his grace. We're going to go understand the joy that he has for us. We're going to go live in the peace that he has for us. We're going to be kind to our neighbor. We're going to be witnesses for him. Why? Because that's what we'll do living out of his abundant grace. I don't want you to do anything. I'm going to kneel down here myself. And I'm going to ask God that he'll just help me stay out of the way. And that he'll use me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just do some heart work today. Pray in your seat. Come down here. Pray at the altar. Join me.